Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Good to go? Yep. All right. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Jim Jansen. I'm an extension economist here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Today, we will be reviewing the current state of Nebraska farm real estate with respect to the preliminary estimates that were published last Wednesday. We're going to be taking a brief look at land values as well as cash rental rates. This presentation today is part of our weekly webinar series held by the Farm and Ranch Management Team here at the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Any information that's being discussed today, you will be able to find a PDF version of the slides as well as recording of our presentation on the website farm.unl.edu in addition to historically archived Thursday webinars. The presentation today is based off the Cornhusker Economics, where we took a look at land values and cash rental rates in addition to the major forces that are impacting the Nebraska farm real estate across the state of Nebraska. And give a special thank you to Ryan Evans, our media specialist here in the department. Um, our slides that we're going off of today, I had some technical issues on my end, so we were able to get this set pulled together. So hopefully it uh, holds true. And uh, if you get any questions after this meeting is over, I will be available tomorrow to visit via phone at the number listed below or via email. Jeffrey Stokes is our endowed chair of agricultural finance and banking here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And he is also co-author to our annual survey and report. So just a brief disclaimer, the information we're talking about today is our preliminary estimates. Our annual survey starts in January and it progresses through here into late March, maybe even into early April. As we get additional estimates that came in, uh, some of these numbers that we're going to be discussing might change slightly in some areas more than others. And in some areas, they may not change very much at all. So just be aware that the information can change depending upon the type of land or the cash rental rate that someone may be observing. Most estimates tend to be very close to what the preliminary estimates are. So a little bit on the Nebraska Farm Real Estate Survey and Report. It was an annual survey of land industry professionals that was started back in 1978 by Drs. Ron Hansen and Bruce Johnson. Their survey annually surveyed land industry professionals from across Nebraska that are engaged in the land industry. These include agricultural bankers, uh, professional land industry folks such as appraisers, farm ranch managers, and other folks engaged in the land industry. Two times each year, we do two things. During the second week of March, we will publish the preliminary estimates. The preliminary estimates have basics on land values as well as cash rental rates. And then the final report is published in June. The final report has additional detail beyond the preliminary estimates. Things like uh, what percent of land in Nebraska is being sold via contract for deed or a mortgage or a cash sale. So those details we won't be getting to today, but uh, I'm gonna be highlighting what I consider to be the most recent information in addition to other information that we've highlighted in the prior, um, we might have a little more application to the prior growing year, but it at least gives us a basis to understand where the trends are at. Farm real estate survey can be found at agecon.unl.edu backslash real estate. You can find historic reports, historic land values, or historic cash rent estimates on that website. 
So a little bit on the geography of Nebraska. We have 93 counties in the state. In addition to having 93 counties, we have 45 million acres of agricultural land. We have more irrigated cropland in this state than anywhere else in the United States, as well as we have roughly half of our ground in this state is either uh, hayland or grazing land that support our cow, calf, and beef sector. So it makes us very unique in terms of the geographical attributes. So trying to derive what the different types of land might be worth at the regional level, uh, we can provide some estimates based upon that. Keeping in mind, if we go from Richardson County in the southeast corner of the state, we get anywhere from the low 30 inches of rain all the way out to the panhandle up to Dawes or Box Butte or somewhere up in this area, we might only get 12 to 14. So depending upon where your property is held at, whether you're a landlord or a tenant, a lot of these factors influence the cash rental rates that are being paid. And um, other thing I forgot to mention here, what we do is we take the state and we divide it into a regional basis. There are other sources where you can find cash rental rates maybe at a county level. I want to highlight the regional. I'm also going to highlight county information that's not published by the University of Nebraska, but available to the general public. And then towards the end of the presentation, I'm gonna highlight some things that I think are important that are commonly expressed to many of our extension offices across the state. How do you figure out a farm level cash rent? And the one example, I'm still using prices from 2020. And the reason I'm doing that is I wanna be sure to point out how much prices can fluctuate. And then we're in a state of a lot of uncertainty with everything that's going on. And we wanna to try to set a cash rental rate that's equitable. And the one slide will hopefully show that it's hard to figure out what that number might be. So first part here, we're gonna talk about land averages, uh, percent changes from the prior year. So a few things that we got going on here. Each year, when you talk about the estimated market value of land associated with the report that the University of Nebraska-Lincoln does, we're estimating the market value at a point in time. On this slide that we have right here, in addition to the other land value slides, which will highlight some of the more commonly requested information slides, I've hidden some of these slides for this presentation for the duration of our content that we have for time today, but we will be publishing or posting online um, the entire slide deck that we have here. The estimated market value says it is a point in time. So we estimated the market value as of February 1, 2020, compared to February 1st, 2021. So it's a one-year change. And what we've seen here in the state of Nebraska, if you look in the bottom left-hand corner, we noted plan the lab values to be up. Uh, this is up year over year. There's been a lot of things that have changed. And on the next slide, I'll hint at a few of these things that were reported on why we're seeing strong growth. Uh, once again, these estimates are preliminary, but what we're seeing is we're seeing a steady rate of gain compared to the prior year, which we, we were steady last year, but this year we're steady to up. Um, in economics, we like to see gradual changes over time. When we see sudden changes, that's sometimes when um, we get into economic issues. We like to see gradual changes over time because as a stakeholder, as a policymaker, we can adjust to these things. And the other thing to know, a lot of folks are wondering, you know, where have we been or where are we going? You have to really look at the fundamentals of where the real estate industry is at. And uh, we have a slide here towards uh, about the first and the first third of the slides that will highlight some of those forces. All right, so here we have the historical value of land in Nebraska. And so it can be displayed here. I cut 1978 off the slide. But what we do see here is the average value of land in Nebraska peaked back in 2014. If you think about the history of what happened prior to 2014 from about 20, 2008 to 2014, we had periods in there with renewable energy drought that set some very high commodity prices for our major grains or oil seeds that we raise in Nebraska, followed by the meat sector uh, having some fairly uh, high prices as well. So we've seen those values peak in 2014. We've seen the decline happen from 2014 to 2019. And then starting in 2020 and 2021, that's where we've seen this percent increase. Been around on average eight to 9% over the last two years. 
Is that a lot? Well, it's a change. We like to see gradual changes, as I mentioned before. But what influences farm real estate values? You'll see in our presentation here in June, when we give a report on our final estimates for the year, there's really two fundamental things we talk about. The earning potential of the asset, as well as the prevailing interest rates to finance long-term debt for that asset. What you see is, is that interest rates, um, I don't have it on the slide here, but read the news. You see a lot of things about home loans, home mortgages, some of the lowest interest rates we maybe have ever seen in recent history compared to historical averages being set. Uh, this past year, people have reported to me that cash rental rates, or excuse me, the interest rates to finance, say, a 20 or 30 year ag land loan, they might be anywhere from, say, uh, 3.25 to 3.5%, but they're well under 3%. So, what you see is, was when we have low interest rates, the interest rates become capitalized into the market value of the asset. Meaning if I'm out in the market to buy a home or land, you might have a certain budget in your mind per month uh, annually if you're making a land payment. But if you can afford to pay more for a home, you could probably afford to do that when you have lower interest rates instead of higher interest rates. And that's one reason we've been seeing uh, some very high farm real estate values. Another factor noted was support of disaster assistance paid throughout the state of Nebraska on different types of real estate. This would include the beef sector as well as the crop sector. Over the prior year through the program referred to as the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program or the CFAP. There's been a few other ones, but that CFAP would have been the biggest one noted that was uh, authorized and uh, paid out by the Farm Service Agency for Disaster Assistance, totaled around $2.4 billion. So we had a period of time in which our real estate had very low interest rates. We had probably a, a fairly high degree of USDA assistance for many operations across the state. And we also towards, and I understand commodity prices were not good at certain points during the summer, but a late season to end of winter ending into this year, We've clearly seen uh, markets for corn, soybeans, and maybe some of the other uh, small grains or row crops improve substantially over prior year averages. Uh, coupling those factors together, there were three of the biggest forces noted by our survey participants on why we seen higher land values as well as cash rents. The slide right here shows what we're experiencing, and I, I don't know what this is going to look like into the future here, but I would ask yourself the question, where do you anticipate things going? Look at the fundamentals that we discussed here in the, on this slide to evaluate where you think things might be going in the future. Okay, on this slide here, there, you're gonna see that there's different types of land that we report estimates on. Uh, the estimated market value of land in Nebraska as of February 1st, 2021 for dry land cropland without irrigation potential, we noted it up about 7%. Dryland cropland without irrigation potential either means the property does not have the ability to be irrigated because there's simply not enough water underneath the property to support irrigation, or the other major force would be uh, policies of the area do not allow for additional irrigation development. With either of these cases, we notice um, a slight increase across the state and uh, some areas more than others, but uh, there's different pockets of the state where we know a higher or lower percent increase, but this is kind of the trends that we're seeing across the state. Grazing land non-tillable is a type of land that cannot be developed into row crop production because either there's an attribute to the ground that would limit it, or it's just not in the right area of the state to do something like that. So soil type, slope, whatever. Uh, if you evaluate the changes that we've seen in the commodity prices for many of our crops and livestock sectors across the state of Nebraska, clearly the uh, livestock sector has not risen at the rate that crops have. Now, there's a little cyclical nature to the livestock industry, so we might see something um, change here in the future. Uh, cattle prices did not peak in 2012. It was you know, a year to 18 months after that. Last time we've seen a major run up in the price of corn or soybeans. But uh, what we do see 
is a, a lower rate of increase for the land classes that primarily support the beef industry or the cow-calf industry compared to the crop sector, which is a little bit different. The other type of land I wanted to highlight was center pivot irrigated cropland. This was the highest priced land class that was annually reported as part of our survey. What we noted with this is we've seen that um, uh, the highest value, um, as the value of the commodities that are raised across Nebraska increased, uh, we see a higher interest in the land classes that support the production of those. And that's one reason we've seen the higher values for center pivot irrigated cropland compared to uh, some of the other um, land classes that we have as part of our real estate survey. Okay, on this slide right here, and I'm gonna note this was actually for our survey last year and we did ask this question, I just haven't had the time to summarize it for Nebraska. What influences land values? Well, what influences land values is probably going to be indicative of the economic force, as we like to term it. And the economic force across the state of Nebraska, it can vary quite a bit. But uh, historically, when we looked at last year, we've seen property taxes, current crop prices, livestock prices, cost of production. They were all things that were being noted by our, our participants that uh, were weighing down on the markets. Now, um, property taxes have never been a positive force, but they were noted quite low on the list in terms of the land value decline. My guess is, is when we see this farm real estate um, factors influencing land values in 2021, when our final get done collecting all the responses, we're probably going to see this, this uh, tornado chart, as they call it, might see it almost flip-flop. And what I mean by that is we're probably going to see current crop prices as a very positive force. I don't know if we're going to see livestock prices as high on that list, but um, you know, some of these other things that we see on the top of this list here, they might become more positive. Things like interest rate levels, I think that's probably going to be another thing that'll be fairly strong. Um, federal farm program payments in prior years for various kinds of disaster assistance has been somewhat favorable. So when you think about everything that's happening in the rural communities, think about this chart and how do you evaluate some of these things. Okay, so what we're gonna do here today is we're gonna start with the dry land cash rental rates, uh, non-irrigated cash rental rates for 2021. Then we're going to move over to irrigated cash rental rates, and then grazing land. So that'll be a highlight of some of our information in addition to the USDA National Agricultural Statistics Service, their survey that they do independent of ours. And then finally, we're going to kind of step down to the farm and give you some considerations to be thinking about when it comes to setting cash rental rates at the farm level. Okay, so here we have the average uh, cash rental rate. So this is a regional level cash rental rate. I know there are some rates on this slide that appear a little bit higher than what the land values were. Keeping in mind in some of these areas, if you have a two or three dollar increase percentage wise, that can appear as a larger percent. Uh, what we've seen though, on average, when you look at the range, uh, we've seen an increase on the cropland cash rental rates, whether irrigated or dry land. We also have a breakdown here of what we refer to as HAL. HAL stands for the average of the high grade, average of the low grade, and an average of all the responses. And with HAL here, we see, the, uh, let's look at, uh, let's say the East District here, since we're broadcasting today out of Lincoln. The average of the upper third of cash rental rates on this slide is 240 an acre. An average of the lower third of cash rental rates is 175 an acre. And an average, based on the survey responses provided, an average of all the estimates were uh, 220. Those are the questions. What is the average of the high third? What is the average of the low third? What do you estimate the average to be for all the cash rental rate responses? And that's how we see that breakdown. So there are rates below 175 to 
make up that average and there could be rates above 240 to make up that average as well. The dry land cropland rental rates, the biggest concern we have this year relates to drought because subject to what happens with drought, that can be an indication of our yield potential. And uh, some folks noted that uh, with the higher yield guarantees that we have this year because of the higher crop prices, things are a little bit more favorable than what they may have been in prior years with respect to setting up your uh, crop insurance uh, policy. So in addition to the University of Nebraska, we publish this in March, and then the final report is in June. There's also another survey that's done. The survey done by the National Agricultural Statistics Service, or NAS, their survey is annually done. Um, my understanding is it's typically done in odd numbered years. They may also do it in even numbered years. They did happen to do it in 2020, but I believe they are fairly consistent on doing it in odd numbered years. So if we're in 2021, this would be an odd numbered year. Their survey is uh, conducted, I think, a little bit later in the growing season than what the University of Nebraska does. But uh, with their survey, their estimates are usually published around that second week in September. So the county level estimates that we'll see, those will be for the second, uh, you know, here towards the end of the summer, late, late summer, you might think of it. And their information can be found at this website link, and we'll be sure to post this uh, slide here online when we get done with our presentation today. But uh, their estimates give a breakdown by county. Now these, once again, these are for 2020. So subject to what they get back in survey estimates, their estimates could be uh, different than what we have here. The reason I provide this slide is many folks might ask the question, you know, compared to the regional rates, how does my county fit into that? Well, if we look here, say for example, in the Panhandle or Southwest Nebraska, you can gain some insight and say, okay, maybe some of these counties might be a little bit more in the upper third. Maybe there's some counties here that are in the lower third, and maybe there's a swath of these counties that are more towards the average. And that's kind of how we see this breakdown right here on this slide. If the county's in white, uh, say for example, Cherry, Brown, Rock, or Holt counties, there were not enough survey responses that the, they could provide an estimate with confidence. So, you know, there's certain areas of the state, we just don't have a lot of dry land cropland. Uh, you know, here in the sand hills, if there is any cropland, it's usually irrigated. And some of these areas down in here, yes, there is some dry land cropland, but overall, some of these counties, especially along the I-80 corridor, might be more um, center pivotier or flood irrigated properties. Okay, talk a little bit on irrigated cash rental rates. The breakdown on the change that we've seen in the irrigated cash rental rates that were provided to us by our land industry professionals for 2021 shows a slight increase across the state. The breakdown, once again, so we start on the average, we ask the question, what do you estimate the upper third or the high grade of cash rents are? What do you estimate the low third or the low third grade of cash rents are? And what do you estimate the average to be for the area, which is represented by HAL on this slide? What we see is the average of the high, the low, and average of all these responses. These are for the center pivot rates. And these rates assume that the landlord owns the entire irrigation system. So this would be the pivot, the pump, and the power unit. If a tenant provided one of those components, they would probably discount the cash rent to reflect that effect because that would be an improvement that the landlord would not have to maintain. And I can't speak for the USDA on their survey, but I would assume somewhat similar on that point as well. So if you do not own a component of the irrigation system, what would you discount the cash rent? We'll show here towards the end of our slide, we did this as a special feature to our survey. I think it was back in 2019 or 2018 where we evaluated that particular question. Is center, uh, the irrigated cash rental rates reported by the USDA in 2020. So these rates are, um, once again, they are reported in the counties where they have enough responses that they can have confidence in. And once again, there's not a lot of irrigated, if there's any cropland in the same hills, it's probably irrigated, but there's not very much relative to other areas. 
And uh, there are areas of the state, you know, here the southeast corner of the state, we just don't have a lot of irrigated cropland relative to some of the other areas. And the other thing from my understanding on this topic with the USDA county level cash rent estimates, these are for 2020, 2021 comes out towards the end of the summer. Uh, one thing on their rates, they do not split out the gravity or flood irrigation versus the center pivot rates. Those rates are combined. So you, what you'll see, especially in some of these counties, and I, I keep picking on the I-80, but I know there's some acres along here that are still flood irrigated in addition to up here in Northeast Cherry County, there's kind of another pocket up in this area. Those rates tend to be anywhere from 30 to 50 bucks an acre less than what uh, Center Pivot does. So when they kind of create a weighted average, this is what explains part of the difference and why you might see some differences in cash rents here. Okay, and uh, if your county's in white for this particular survey, they did not provide an estimate. So why do I show the 2020 rates? Why do why not skip all this? Well, at least you can gain some insight on how county level cash rents do vary in an area. The other thing, if you're still wrestling with whether you're a landlord or a tenant, if you're still wrestling on what the cash rent could or should be, how do you stack up against some of these numbers? You're already on the upper end of cash rent and you're rolling into this year. I don't know if you would see a lot of movement in your cash rent relative to someone that's way on the lower side. And if you are on the lower side, maybe there's some feature to that property that deters it from being quite as desirable to rent. Okay. So this gives us a breakdown here of the irrigated cropland cash rental rates. The University of Nebraska also does publish gravity or flood irrigated rates. Those rates will be uh, provided in the slide set that will be published with these uh, handout. And um, be sure to take a look at it. In addition, you can take a look at the Cornhusker or real estate website, find those numbers as well. Okay. So I said we kind of have three parts to our presentation. First part was on farm real estate values. Second part was on cash rents. The third part is how do you work through some of the numbers? On the topic of cash rental rates, when we talk about grazing land, you can either rent on a per acre or some of the numbers the university reports are on a per pair or per head basis. Uh, the University of Nebraska does publish a per acre basis rental rate. I chose to hide, this, hide the slide today for the sake of our presentation, trying to get done in a, in a manner that would be consistent with the time we have allowed. But uh, what we do see on the breakdown of the cash rental rates on a per acre basis is we have a big range of cash rents. These cash rental rates reflect differences, geographical area where you're at, how competitive it is, but also things like um, how many acres does it take for a cow-calf pair or a stocker calf or whatever the case might be. Depending on where you're at, it can be a considerable number of acres more in the western part of the state than what it is in the eastern part of the state. On the cow-calf pair rental rates, these rates are for one cow, for one calf, during one month during the summer grazing season. If you would be in renting, say, for five months, you would multiply this rate by five to estimate what a cash rent might roughly be in your area. Uh, for the sake of this, an easy example, you look at the Southwest District here where the average cash rental rates are roughly uh, $50 a pair. You take $50 a pair per month times five you'd be looking around 250, I know it's a few, 255, 257 a pair for the summer grazing season. The thing to note on cow-calf grazing rates entering the year, and I'm well aware we've received a lot of moisture here in the last week, but there are still parts of our state that are very dry. And when you set a cow-calf pair rental rate, we're assuming for a five month grazing season or something of that nature, if you are in an area where it is very dry, be sure to account for that in the lease and have a provision where you could withdraw the cattle if it would need be. Uh, the other thing on the cow-calf pair rental rates assumes that the landlord owns the, um, uh, 
takes care of the fencing. Um, the other things that are more negotiable, we control. Um, upkeep on the fencing, you know, who's willing to do that? Well, it probably varies based upon who has the, um, you know, ability to do some of those things. So fencing, weed control. Another thing is uh, brush or cedar trees. Who, who's taking care of that? All things are negotiable. If you have a property that clearly needs some work, it's probably something that could be um, negotiated into the lease. If you know you have a property with issues, maybe that'd be some way to negotiate a lower cash rental rate if um, the landlord would maybe be willing to cut a deal on that. Maybe you give a lower cash rent over a three-year period and you work on a third of the property per year. And you work on mulching the trees or whatever the case is. Um, that's just one way to kind of take a look at that. Okay, so we're kind of entering our third part here today. And our first part, we took a look at farm real estate as well as cash rental rates. A lot of folks are asking, well, what about my property? Well, we started large. We started at the agricultural statistic district level, eventually stepped down to a county level. Now, I understand there's a difference between the 2021 and the 2020 rates that are at the county level, but I can at least give you some ideas relative to the regional average. You know, where does my county sit in the mix of this or where do neighboring counties relative to mine sit? So we're trying to give you some ideas there on that. Um, we're going to step into looking at some lease considerations for 2021. Uh, based on the calls I get, and I use these slides a lot, and uh, due to some of the technical difficulties we had today, I wasn't able to get my correct version of the slides up that I wanted. But uh, I do think there are some learning points. Three different ways to estimate cash rents. The first idea is adjusting survey information. The next one is called cash equivalent from crop share or hay share. And then the final one is return on investment. So we have a breakdown here. Uh, let's say in this county, and I apologize, I didn't get this updated. I had updated them yesterday and it, some other things happened this morning. So I just wasn't able to get the correct version up here. But if you know what the average county rental rate is in an area, you could take the average county rent divided by your typical yield for the county. This is the number you could probably get from someone like a crop insurance agent. If you divide the two together, you get what is called the county rent per bushel. For one bushel of grain raised on a rented parcel of ground in this county, typically $1.13 of the sale price is going towards paying rent. Now, if I'd be using some numbers that might be a little bit more accurate for 2021, this maybe this would be closer to $1.18 to $1.25 or something like that. But uh, we get the county rent per bushel. And if you take the county rent per bushel and slide it to the upper right-hand corner here and multiply it by what your property actually yields. What, okay, in this example, my property tends to yield about 15 bushel per acre less than what the county does. So if you take the county rent per bushel times the average yield, you get what? Get the farm level cash rent. We're taking what we know at the county level and multiplying it by what we know at the farm level, the yield. So you get an average estimated average cash rent of say of $1.18 and 13 cents per acre. If the property yielded more than 120, you would estimate a cash rental rate that might be a little bit higher than the county average. So it just kind of depends where you're at. Another example I like, and I had updated this yesterday and it just, uh, maybe I should post this on uh, line here, but uh, on the topic, or my updated slides online here, this is a really good example. Over the course of last summer, and who knows, maybe we're going to see something in a different direction this summer, but I'm not hedging any bets on it. Right now, there's a spread of around a dollar or maybe a dollar and a half a bushel, depending on the crop, between what we refer to as the old crop and the new crop. The old crop is a crop that was raised during, um, say, 2020, and it's either in storage now or it's at a, at a commodity firm where it will be... Um, you know, you gotta get marketed hopefully by this fall. 
And right now prices are clearly higher than what they were say last summer, you know, go from 310 a bushel up to say we're at 510 or 530 a bushel right now. There's quite a spread there. And the new crop price, the price that we could be selling our crops for, for in 2021 for corn, soybeans, whatever the case might be, uh, those prices um, on corn, you're talking maybe a buck a bushel. On soybeans, it might be a dollar and a half. Now, I think a lot of folks can hopefully cover their cost of production if you get a price over $4 a bushel on corn, but there's a big difference between those two. So a lot of older landowners have mentioned they like the idea of a crop share, but due to their age or interest or whatever, they don't want to have to take ownership of the crop. They like the idea of sharing risk, but they don't necessarily have uh, the interest or the mindset at this time is just something else they don't really care to worry about. Let's say on this made up farm, you, the landlord got half of the crop. Half of the crop is what? Uh, in this case, the crop actually yielded 160 bushel per acre, so landlord gets 80 bushel. And if you take the price per bushel, uh, and this is, I just picked prices that I thought were somewhat typical of the time, and the cash price. Uh, say last March, you're looking at 350 a bushel. This March, we're looking for fall delivery, you know, maybe four and a half. And if you take away the landlord share of half of the crop input expenses, so typically on a 50-50 split, they would be paying for half of the seed, fertilizer, and chemical expenses. The difference between the landlord share of the income produced per acre minus half of the landlord's income expenses per acre, you get what? You would get the effective net return to the landlord or what the landlord you would anticipate um, what they might be making per acre. Well, depending upon what price a person uses, that's gonna have a big influence on the effectively what the landlord might be making or what the cash rent might be. What we see when we evaluate some of these things is you know these numbers can fluctuate around. Now, I'm not saying you should necessarily use 310 or 390 in this example, but what truly is an equitable number? There might have been some people when they've seen the opportunity to get, say, 370 a bushel, they chose to sell their corn at 370 a bushel because, um, you know, given the uncertainty of last summer, that might have made sense. And uh, I think we're going to be on a somewhat similar deal that we're going to see fluctuations and that whole idea of uncertainty when it comes to cash rents for this upcoming year. Uh, and I see we got a couple of uh, questions coming in, so I'll see if I can answer those quick. All right, first question. We have a chart for preliminary pasture rental rates per acre. Yes, they will be posted online. Check out farm.unl.edu and um, take a look at them there. And uh, the other question is, how well do you believe the 2021, so the current survey that's we're towards the tail end of collecting on, how do you think that captured the impact of the increase in crop prices towards the tail end of 2020? You know, I think there are definitely folks that are paying cash rent that have, and they might be putting a little bit heavier uh, bullishness on having higher prices this upcoming fall, but I don't know exactly um, how much emphasis has been placed on that. What I can say is when we get into periods of financial uncertainty, as fast as prices go up, it can also change. So. And uh, Ryan is uh, our media specialist here. He's going to be typing in a link here to answer your question on where you can find the uh, cash rental rate information if you're looking for more of a chart format or our preliminary estimates. So, you know, cash rents, I encourage people to be talking with their landlord or their tenant one-on-one. -on -one, and what do they anticipate things to be? Because you know, I can pop up all these numbers that we're seeing on these slides here, but really it comes down to what is specific to your property. And that's why we're going through these right here. I just had a question asked yesterday. Say you have a property, maybe it's a little bit smaller one. Say it's 20 or 30 acres of just native grass or brome grass, and you don't know what to pay for cash rent on it. Let's say in this made up example, this property yields about two and a half tons per acre. 
The landlord could be on a one-third, two-third split. So under the one-third, two-third split, they get a third of the crop. Tenant gets the other two-thirds. Or under a 50-50 split, landlord gets half of the um, uh, half of the hay and the tenant gets the other half. In the one-third, two-third split, the landlord may not pay any of the production expenses. So they just get a third of the hay. Well, if they're not in the business, livestock business or not trying to sell hay, maybe they don't have that great of an interest in owning hay directly. If that's the case, what would the tenant be willing to pay them for cash rent? Well, probably the value of their share of the hay. Um, when we talk about that, I think that um, using this concept is really equitable to set cash rents because if hay prices are higher or yields are down, you can really adjust the cash rent to account for that. Another case we have here on the right-hand side of the, the table here, if we have a 50-50 hay split and uh, let's say you throw out $20 of nitrogen per acre, landlord pays half, tenant pays half. Well, under this example, they get more of the hay, so the tenant has to pay more. And uh, when they have to pay more all right, per acres because the landlord gets more of the crop, well, guess what? In a 50-50 split, the landlord's pay, usually paying half of the seed, fertilizer, chemical expenses. So if you take off the landlord's share of the hay provided, or excuse me, of the fertilizer provided per acre, in this case, you would have a cash rent breakdown of you know somewhere around say ninety dollars an acre. Okay, and you see we got one other question here, but I think what we're going to do is we're going to try to get through the rest of these slides, and then I'll take a Q and A for as long as everybody wants to keep going. If you have a case where the tenant owns a pivot, but the landlord does not. How does that impact the cash rental rates? Well, we ask that as a survey. What do you discount the cash rents to account for the landlord providing the uh, cash rental rates? Or excuse me, what do you pay? What do you charge for a cash rental rate if the land tenant provides a pivot? About uh, not quite 60% of the time, the landlord is taking somewhere between $26 to $50 an acre off the cash rent if the tenant provides to pivot. So if the two of you agree what the, the going irrigated rental rate should be, but you want to discount the cash rent because the tenant either brings a pivot or maybe they swing their pivot onto your property, uh, that would be reflected there. A uh, third of the time, the discount is somewhere between 10 to 25 and the remainder of the time, it is a little bit higher than that. Excuse me, just once. Excuse me, I had a sneeze there. Um, the discount around 10% of the time is greater than $51 an acre, and a very small percent of the time, the discount is essentially nothing. I think something that might be a little bit more common here is under the case of when the tenant provides a power unit, how does that influence the cash rent? So if let's say the landlord owns the property, they own the pivot and the piping and the electrical stuff, they don't own that diesel engine. Well, around 40% of the time, there's a discount of say one to $9 an acre. So you agree with the center pivot irrigated cash rent or the cash rent should be um, maybe even for gravity or flood irrigation. What do you take off that cash rent? Well, sometimes, and based on our phone calls, we get you know somewhere around that eight to twelve dollars is a really common area, eight to fifteen bucks an acre. Meaning, since the tenant's providing that engine, you have wear and tear and depreciation on that unit. That would be accounted for in the cash rental rates that we have here. Okay. Um, in twenty nineteen. So this is getting a little dated, but I think it's a good learning point. Disaster, you know, Nebraska, we live in a state that has a wide variety of land and we have a wide variety of rainfall and soil types here. And with that, uh, back in 2019, we had a very, you know, around this time of the year, it got really, really wet. And uh, we had that kind of that flash uh, melt, you might call it, and it had runoff and some of these things. And when that occurred, and what we've seen was the uh, 
many leases at that time did not have a provision in their lease to account for um, damages happening from flooding. And what we've seen was over three fourths of the leases did not have a proper provision in the lease to account for that. And just partially, you know, less than 20% had some kind of partial provision. In 2019, when you had a property that could not be farmed because of something related to flooding or whatever the cases might've been, what we seen was, um, did you have a case where they adjusted the cash rent because of disaster? Uh, no adjustments were made on roughly a third of the leases. In some cases, cash rent were reduced. In some cases, the property either had no rent, so maybe the property was abandoned or some other force. I don't know what that is and we didn't get into it. The whole point in asking this question was, how can we equitably adjust a lease to account for the prevailing forces that are happening during the year? I encourage you to be thinking about maybe a little bit more on drought this upcoming year. And hopefully I'm wrong on that point and hopefully we get rainfall, maybe not three inches in two days, but hopefully we get, you know, two, three inches in July and August each, and we have really favorable yields this year or very favorable grazing land. Um, I just encourage you to think about uh, how do you adjust that cash rent to make it more equitable for both parties involved. And kind of wrapping up things here, did the surveys have any provisions made to um, account for flooding going forward? Well, about half the leases still didn't have any updates made. But the good thing that we did see is either they did or partially did, so not quite half. Clearly, there was some type of an adjustment made to account for um, a disaster. And uh, we hopefully that partially is growing. And usually we don't see, you know, 2019 was an exceptional year for flooding in the state. We usually don't see it to the extent that maybe other states or surrounding Nebraska might say Iowa or, you know, go up into Minnesota or somewhere like that. So think of disaster, think of how it could impact you and how to adjust for that. Okay, so I got my contact information provided right here. You're more than welcome to reach out to me. Uh, pro probably tomorrow would be better than today. Got to cut a few more interviews today on the report, but uh, more than happy to visit with you at any time. So uh, we got a question here. I'm going to just start taking Q&A. So you're more than welcome to type them in and uh, my answer or response will be uh, recorded here as well. Question, how much do interest rates drive real estate values compared to how much crop prices drive real estate values? Uh, when we talk about interest rates on farm real estate properties, it's, a it's called the capitalization of market prevailing forces on the derived land value. I think that interest rates, they now we're in an exceptional period when interest rates are low, but um, they definitely are impacting things. The overarching thing though is how much revenue, how much money, how profitable is something. So I think crop prices probably influence things a little bit more, but at any time you have an extended period of very, very low interest rates, um, th that would definitely be a very positive force. And coupling those two together, I don't know if you can say one is more than the other. I would probably say cash, um, you know, the price of the value of what we're producing might be a little bit bigger force right now, but low interest rates, um, one concern we have in the macroeconomic perspective of things is inflation. And uh, so that's something that the Federal Reserve has to keep an eye on. And our monetary policies here in the United States, something that we're cognitive of, but we're also cognitive of the pandemic and trying to keep employment as high as we can given the circumstances we're in. All right, we had another question come in. It reads, a landlord uh, that's living out of state, where do I find average county yields? And uh, can I find out what my land actually produces without asking my tenant? So first part, where do I find county level yields? 
Uh, a local crop insurance agent near your property might have some information on that. The USDA has a website called QuickStats. So the National Agricultural Statistics Service has a website called QuickStats. Takes a little bit to navigate in there, but you can find it that way. And also that link that I provided is part of our cash rental rate from the USDA at the county level. If you dig that link out and look at that website, there are some uh, estimates at the county level for different crops being grown in Nebraska. When it comes to the farm level yield information, I don't, I'm not personally aware of any website that you can find this out. Uh, one, it would be asking your land tenant, what's the crop produce? And there are some folks, now you have to get, both parties have to agree to it. You can put whatever you want in the lease, but one, you have to find some way to agree to it. And two, they have to adhere to the terms of the lease. But uh, some folks might request, um, you know, what is the average, you know, a copy of what was reported to crop insurance for yield information. You can't ask for prior years, but going forward with a new lease, if you haven't signed it yet, or for 2022, you could ask that. A lot of folks are very, uh, as an operator, and I'm an operator, they might feel that information is a little bit confidential. They might be concerned if you're asking for that, maybe you're out shopping around for a new operator for the ground. So there has to be a degree of trust shown by both parties. But once again, you can't find it for prior years very easily for your property, but it is something you could put in the lease for future years. Just be aware you have to find somebody that's gonna to agree to it and uh, that it could be enforced. So with that, uh, our presentation ran about 50 minutes today and I'll kind of round out the deal here. Um, my name is Jim Jansen. I'm an agricultural economist here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Along with Jeff Stokes and I, we would lead our annual uh, survey uh, estimates on uh, land values and cash rents. Keep an eye out here in 2021, Alan Benalik, Austin Durfeldt, and Jessica Grosskopf and I hope to be doing more in-person meetings with our uh, land management programs. We've been covering the state with those in prior years. We had to go a little bit more in line this past year, but uh, by all means, please uh, keep an eye out for that. We'd be love to see you in person sometimes and uh, be aware we have Ag Lane Management Quarterly. It's another web webinar series that Alan Vanalik and myself uh, work on together. That website is a great resource. It's kind of a quarterly, what do we need to be thinking about? And uh, I think we'll have a little bit more up-to-date analysis on our May webinar when it comes down to estimating cash rents for 2021. So with that, I'm going to uh, stop the recording. You're more than welcome to reach out to me at any other time if you'd like. And uh, I appreciate everyone for participating. And if there's any, uh, let's see here. Okay, we got everything taken care of. I'm going to go ahead and um, stop sharing now. And I appreciate everyone for joining us. So with that, we're going to sign off. And uh, thanks. This everyone. has been a special a Nebraska time. Farmcast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision making, visit farm.unl.edu.